Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 6th to 12th of September, 2021. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host, Jean Deville. Before getting into this week's news updates, a special shout out to our good friends at GoTikonauts and SpaceWatch.Global, two excellent sources of space industry news. This week, we bring we unpack an article on provincial and national level space policies in China. We bring you a plethora of launch updates from the last week. But first, some discussion on direct communication between satellites and smartphones. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dongfang Hour. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. So, John, how long until I can get broadband directly from a satellite on my phone? That's an excellent question. Let's let's discuss this right now. First of all, renowned Apple analyst Ming Shikuo took the world by storm last week when he predicted that the iPhone 13 would support some satellite connectivity features using the Global Star Leo constellation. And the extent of the satellite connectivity features in this iPhone is still blurry, but Bloomberg hinted that it would probably be limited to sending short text messages to first respondents in the context of an emergency occurring in a remote area where potentially you don't have 3G, 4G or 5G connectivity. Now, why are we talking about this on the Dongfang Hour? It's because, well, this news also had a big impact in Chinese discussion circles and was really a hot topic over the last week. And to understand this, you have to understand that China really prides itself on being, uh, you know, a smartphone manufacturing powerhouse with three of the five top global manufacturers being Chinese. So namely Xiaomi, Oppo and Vivo. And even with Xiaomi overtaking Apple uh, over the second quarter of 2021 as the, you know, the second largest manufacturer in the world in terms of volumes of smartphones sold. And so Apple releasing a new pioneering technology in their upcoming iPhone, that is definitely something that may have been a hit on the ego on the Chinese side. And so notably, we had some Chinese netizens point out that there were already Chinese smartphones that were supporting such satellite connectivity features. And this was made possible thanks to China's Tiantong S-band geostationary communications constellation, of which three satellites, the Tiantong 1-0, 1-02, and 3 are already in orbit in this since 2016. And an example of such a smartphone that was brought up by the netizens was the Linyun YT8000 smartphone, which is a 5G smartphone that supports 5G frequencies as well as Tiantong communications. Other netizens, Chinese netizens, and rightfully pointed out that you know, this YT8000 was rather actually a different market rather than a, you know, sort of a competitor to the iPhone 13. I think we just need to look at the Linyun YT8000's more rugged look, its thickness that's at 2.5 times that of the iPhone, and the price point that's nearly at $2,500, really to realize that this phone is really a, a an entirely different market. It's not a mass market consumer product. It's more, I guess, something that we'd be targeting people that live in remote areas or people working in remote or extreme conditions. There are also additional limitations to this Linyun YT8000 phone or just any phone that uses the Tiantong communications compared to the iPhone. And that's because Tiantong does not have a global coverage so far. It just covers China and Asia Pacific, although there are discussions of a Tiantong um, 1-0405 satellites to have a global coverage. There's another issue is that the frequencies that are used by Tiantong are not compatible with any usage in Europe and North America. And that's because those frequencies are already used 
for other applications in those areas. And final limitation of Tiantong satellite communications, this satellite constellation is a geostationary satellite constellation, meaning that these satellites are at an altitude of 36 thousand kilometers as you know compared to the uh, iridium or the global star constellations which are leo meaning several hundred kilometers only and that means that the little antennas that will be uh, connected to tiantong they will need to have a higher gain potentially they'll have to be bulkier consume more power and potentially yeah the result will be a more expensive and a bulkier phone a more now a possibly more credible candidate for a future chinese 5g plus satellite connectivity smartphone could be the upcoming Huawei Mate 50, which was reported by the Chinese media over the past few weeks to potentially support similar emergency messaging features like the iPhone 13. But this time, the technical enabler is not Tiantong, it would be the Beidou 3 constellation. So let me just give a really brief background on this Beidou 3 constellation. This Beidou constellation is composed of 24 medium Earth orbit um, satellites. It's composed of three geostationary satellites and three inclined geosynchronous orbit satellites. It provides, uh, you know, classical sat-nav and positioning um, services that you would expect from Galileo or from GPS. It also provides some precise positioning systems, uh, services that we'll, we'll not get into in this video. But there's one unique feature on the Beidou 3 compared to the other SatNav constellations, it's that it provides a global coverage of a short messaging system that's limited to a thousand Chinese characters when you're in China or in the Asia Pacific region. And that goes down to 40 Chinese characters, I believe, when you're beyond that region. And so this would be the enabler in the Huawei Mate 50 potentially or in future Chinese smartphones. And it was also reported that Beidou 3 chips that would enable this function reached basically a power consumption that went below three watt, meaning that they could be integrated into smartphones. And we also had a CCTV report on September the 2nd that mentioned that such smartphones, so 5G plus Beidou 3 short messaging, you know, satellite messaging, this would hit the market before the end of the year. So there's some competition coming up to the iPhone 13, although we'll have to see how credible that offer looks like once it, you know, it's officially announced. Fascinating stuff. And definitely second to your point about, um, you know, China having this uh, accurate perception that they are a world leader in uh, in smartphone manufacturing and also in, in you know, sort of network deployment. And very interesting to see a company like Huawei getting uh, potentially involved in this. It's uh, something to watch out for, for sure. So just a couple of very small points to add from my side on the sort of global star Apple update and then, you know, just related. Um, so first of all, apparently excellent news for global star as their share price has increased about 80% over the last one month. So investors are very happy, apparently, to hear about the potential collaboration between Apple and Global Star. Referring to your earlier point about the comparison of Tiantong with Iridium and Global Star, one additional point I would mention is that the Tiantong being in geostationary orbit, it also contributes to significantly longer latency. So basically, as John mentioned, the 36,000 kilometer distance that one would need to send a signal, um, it takes a rather long time to travel that distance, even if you are traveling at the speed of sound at, or light, potentially. I suppose light. Um, digressing, it's a, it's a 72,000 kilometer round trip. It takes about 400 milliseconds, which is to say about four tenths of a second. So not devastatingly long, but certainly far too long to be doing things like playing online games and even long enough to be rather annoying if you are on a phone call. So again, Tiantong definitely has a lot of uses, but uh, you know, let's say real time or very low latency communication with cell phones is not one of them. 
couple of other points to add. So I would note that this is certainly not the first time we've heard about cell phones being directly linked to satellites. And I would note um, an interesting product that was out as early as 2013 from a company called Thraya, and the product was called their Sat Sleeve. So basically a piece of hardware that you would slide over a smartphone, uh, including you know, iPhones or Android phones, and it would make that smartphone compatible with the Thraya geostationary MSS constellation. So um, we may very well be moving into an era where that that connectivity is built directly into the phone. But um, certainly we have seen this type of, of concept done before and, and for quite a little while. I would also mention that uh, Apple is not the only company that is currently, well, Apple is not the only Western company currently working on this sort of direct smartphone to satellite technology. So among others, there's a company in the U.S. called AST Space Mobile, I believe, AST Space Mobile. And they are planning to integrate their LEO constellation directly with cell phones, aiming to provide global broadband connectivity. And AST has partnered with Japanese mobile network operator and tech company Rakuten, and they claim to have a number of patents filed for this technology. And the plan is considered technologically very tricky, if not downright questionable, but investors have reacted very enthusiastically with AST Space Mobile having a market capitalization of about $2 billion U.S. dollars. And just a brief anecdote to put that into perspective, if we look at, say, the world's third largest satellite operator, UTELSAT, their market cap is around $2.5 billion U.S. dollars. So a company like UTELSAT with about $1.5 billion U.S. dollars in revenues and with you know, quite good free cash flow and, and other metrics being uh, valued at about 20 25% more than what is at this point largely a paper company. Um, so indeed, maybe the efficient market hypothesis is not necessarily relevant in this case, but the takeaway is investors are apparently quite excited about this direct smartphone to satellite communication technology. And so moving forward, I think we're likely to see several trends continue, and that's probably going to increase the importance of this particular technology. So first, I think the Internet is probably going to continue to become more mobile oriented as smartphone ownership and use continues to increase. And then second, I think Leo broadband constellations are going to continue deploying at least for a few more years. Uh, and while the long-term prospects for LEO broadband and also satellite-to-mobile communications are both a little bit uncertain, the short-to-medium term, it does seem like these are both important enough technologies with enough investor excitement to where they will likely continue to be subsidized with venture capital money for at least a little while longer. And just a very final point that is not directly related to this story, but I am currently reading the book Eccentric Orbits, the Iridium story, which tells the fascinating story of the late 1990s and early 2000s first generation of LEO broadband constellations. And it is really full of some interesting insights and anecdotes about what were some of the challenges they faced then? What was the world like? And uh, it, there's some really interesting thought exercises comparing it to, um, to the world today and the LEO broadband constellations that, uh, that we're seeing. Uh, so, Sean, anything else from your side on space-to-phone communications, or shall we move on? I'm all good. Let's hear about provincial policy. My favorite topic. So, this week, we saw published in Chinese uh, satellite news source, Satellite World, or Wei Xingjie, uh, a very comprehensive article about China's national and provincial-level space-related policies. And so the first main takeaway from this article was the sheer number of provinces and provincial level cities that have space related policies and the subsequent number of policies. Uh, and so basically we have 15 provinces or provincial level cities out of uh, a bit more than 30 in China um, that have passed space related regulations. And the vast majority of these regulations have been passed over the last, say, 18 to 24 months. 
And so just a couple that stick out in particular that I would like to highlight. So at a national level, they highlight several policies that were passed by the state council, which is to say China's highest political body, including February of this year, the National Comprehensive Plan for a Multi-Layered Communication Network, as well as the opinions on advancing the quality of weather modification, uh, which is um, with the former supporting the development of multiple satellite constellations and with the latter calling for the use of meteorology satellite data for weather modification. And again, just another kind of random uh, article that I would point out. There was a great article written in May of this year in The Economist about China's weather modification technology and the subsequent opportunities and challenges. Back to space regulations. At a provincial level, as mentioned, there were a truly astonishing number of initiatives being geared towards the satellite and space sector. So again, 15 provinces and or provincial level cities with space related initiatives. And within the 15, there are a total of 24 different policies related to space. So some of them have more than one. And we've discussed several of these policies before on the Dongfang Hour. Uh, most recently last month when we discussed Guangdong having added satellite internet to its 14th five-year plan. Several of the policies are admittedly only tangentially related to space or otherwise are much broader policies that have some rather specific small space component. So, for example, in March of 2021, the Ningxia Autonomous Region apparently passed a 2021 to 2023 plan to build its digital governance infrastructure. And this included, among other things, accelerating the deployment of GIS systems, integrating Beidou and Gaofan Earth observation satellites, and increasing data collections. So again, quite a high level policy, digital governance, but there is a not insignificant space component. And so just the last couple of kind of high level takeaways, I would point out that there is a major emphasis on things like Beidou, uh, so satellite navigation, uh, Earth observation, different types of data collection and the digitization of everything. And as we've discussed at length before on the Dongfang Hour, the Chinese development model certainly has its benefits and also its drawbacks. And all of these regional development plans can kind of highlight both of these things. So in terms of benefits, there are a lot of resources being poured into a lot of strategic industries and the resources are being poured in by stakeholders that have the ability to really make a difference in terms of economic development and industrial development and so on. On the other hand, uh, there's probably a certain level of inefficiency when you have 15 provinces doing 24 different space-related policies, most of which have the word Beidou in them. And so certainly I suspect that some of these clusters are going to be flourishing and have lots of different space companies and the local government will get lots of tax receipts and everyone will go home happy. But I do suspect that there are going to be certain clusters where you might not have needed to build a Beidou industrial park in the sixth largest city in a given province. So, again, uh, not necessarily right or wrong, but it is nonetheless, uh, you know, characteristics of the Chinese development model that are interesting to think about. So moving forward, I think we can likely be sure of two things. So one. China's space sector is likely to continue developing at both a national and a provincial level, propelled at least in part by government initiatives. And then two, we may see some underutilized space assets in the medium term as many, many provinces go and subsidize those space assets. So, uh, Jean, anything from your side on provincial and national level government initiatives or shall we move into launch? Let's discuss launch. In the same week, we saw two launches from China's state-led satellite program. The first and largest one was the ChinaSat 9B, which is a massive geostationary telecommunication satellite based on China's domestically designed Dongfang Hong 4 satellite platform and launched on board at Long March 3B. And this was on September 
the 9th. The Dongfang Hong 4 satellite platform is today still the main platform used for geostationary satellites, communication satellites. And I say this because the previous generation, the Dongfang Hong 3, was said to be used for the very last time this year in July 2021 with the launch of the Tianlian 1-05. And so, yeah, potentially we won't be seeing that platform again. And the, there's also a newer generation called the Dongfang Hong 5. It's, you know, it's more powerful, it's heavier, and it's been, it was launched for the first time successfully in December 2019. But since then, we just haven't heard much about it. So there's really the question of what role will be given to this platform, considering that it's, I think it's operational. But, you know, in the meantime, we've only seen Dongfang Hong 4 platforms being manufactured and launched, and there's been quite a few of them. Now, back to the ChinaSat 9B, the satellite will focus on direct broadcast. That, will, that means basically that it will be providing 4K and 8K high definition videos to users on the ground, notably to cover large scale events. And one of the upcoming large scale events will be the Beijing Winter Olympics in 2022. Last point here on the on the um, on the China Sat 9B, which is more of a fun fact, there were some absolutely stunning photos that were taken of the rocket flames shooting out of the engines of the Long March 3B, taken by a Weibo account called iKushu the Haoshanian. And there's really a lot of information to be understood by just looking at these pictures. You can see, for example, the bluish transparent flame coming from the exhaust of the engine burning UDMH and nitrogen tetroxide. You can also see some brighter flames from the exhaust of the pre-burner and the brighter color that you see here of the flames here um, come from the fuel-rich nature of the combustion inside the pre-burner. You can also see some orange puffs of smoke uh, coming from the unburnt nitrogen tetroxide. And this is because nitrogen tetroxide at ambient temperature, I believe, tends to decompose into nitrogen dioxide, which has this orangish uh, brown color. And so that will be all for the Rocket Nerd sequence for this week. I'm handing it over to Blaine for the second and final launch of the week. Thank, thank God I was not the one relied on for the Rocket Nerd sequence. That would not have been good. Um, so the second launch of the week, we saw a Long March 4C loft the Gaofun 502 satellite into orbit from Taiyuan on uh, Tuesday of this week. Both the satellite and the rocket were manufactured by SAST or the Shanghai Academy of Space Technology, a CASC subsidiary. A few notes, uh, a few points worth noting from this launch. So first, this was CASC's 30th launch of 2021, and they have been successful in all 30 of them. I would also point out at the beginning of this year, CASC announced plans to launch 40 times in 2021. And so having not yet reached the three quarters of the year mark, they are apparently ahead of that schedule. This was also the first time that the Long March 4C was equipped with data relay capabilities on its third stage, which allowed for continuous communication with the Tianlian relay satellite and uh, subsequently with the ground. So basically, you had this enhanced um, re data relay type of uh, technology being used on this Long March 4C for the first time. And as noted earlier, this would have been continuous data, but there would have been a fair amount of lag uh, because it would have been going up to geostationary orbit and back to the ground, a round trip of 72,000 kilometers, give or take. So back to the satellite, the Gaofun 502 is apparently equipped with seven remote sensing instruments and was sent to 705 kilometer sun synchronous orbit. The satellite is based on the SAST 3000 satellite bus, and it represents one of the more sophisticated and large satellites deployed recently by SAST. I would also point out that the satellite is equipped with hyperspectral equipment and is intended to monitor atmospheric conditions, water conditions, and the environment more generally. 
Final point from my side, this is yet another pretty impressive turnkey mission from SAST. As I mentioned, they were the manufacturers of both the satellite and the rocket. We've seen quite a few such missions this year, with the Shanghai-based Cask subsidiary being, again, the prime contractor for both the satellite and the rocket, and with both of the both the satellite and the rocket being pretty big, pretty complex. And so in the case of the Gaofun 502, the satellite weighed several tons, and the Long March 4C is quite a beast of a rocket. So well done to SAST. That is a heck of a mission for you guys. So, yeah, nicely done. Uh, Jean, anything else from your side for this week, or are we all set? I think we're good. Good stuff. So this has been another episode of the Dongfang Hour China Space News Roundup. This for the week of the 6th to 12th of September 2021. If you like what you see or hear, I encourage you to comment or subscribe or like or check out our newsletter at newsletter.dongfanghour.com. I'm Blaine Curcio, joined as always by my co-host Jean Deville, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you for watching. See you next week.